you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Hi, I'm Megan Botel, a producer on the LAS studio show, How to LA. For the past few weeks, I've been working on a special series exploring how people are dealing with feelings of loneliness. According to the Surgeon General, we're dealing with an epidemic of isolation, and people in Los Angeles may be lonelier than most. Through this series, I've been exploring the depths of these feelings for people in all walks of life and also digging into how folks are easing these feelings by creating connections and communities around the city. Here's the first episode, where we work to reframe the loneliness epidemic and give you a few tips to work through those feelings and find your people. Take a listen. I wanted to start first with a very broad question. How would you define loneliness? It's the worst thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) The standard social science kind of definition of it is the felt experience of not having your social needs met. You know, even if you have a million connections, you don't feel like you're meaningfully connected enough. Loneliness is maybe the oldest part of the human condition. Basically... The earliest experiences of life are when you're in the womb, literally tied by a cord to another human being. But then the moment you emerge, the first experience you have is of that cord being cut. Throughout your life, there are endless experiences of being left out, being excluded, people dying, people leaving. And so the experience of loneliness comes in waves and all kinds of different flavors and degrees across the lifespan. It shows up in the brain in the same area as hunger and as pain. So it's literally physically and at a soul level painful. The same way that you need a sandwich, you know, every day at noon, you need people. From LA Studios, this is How to LA. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Today, we're kicking off a special series that explores something sort of hard to define. I think it felt like closed doors. You know, that like every door I knocked on was closed. Or that I didn't have the password. Something we all feel at times. It's fucking scary. It's like a dragon. You have to like find it and kind of like, you have to tame it. It was recently deemed an epidemic by the Surgeon General. It's loneliness. Allegedly, we're more connected than ever because of social media. I don't think that's the case. I think loneliness and depression is skyrocketing as a result of it. We've all been hearing about this issue. It's been presented sort of like an emergency, especially post-pandemic, but it's been going on long before that. That's How to Lay producer Megan Botel. She's reporting a five-part series on this topic and how it affects Angelinos. The rate of loneliness in young people has been increasing every year since the late 70s. 
Loneliness feels like to me unmotivation, like not having any kind of stimulants to be creative. It's always it's always lonely. It like it was it was lonely this afternoon, like two or three in the afternoon. Nearly half of American adults say they've experienced feelings of loneliness in recent years. And the consequences of this are huge. Loneliness puts people at a greater risk for depression, insomnia, dementia, stroke, and even heart disease, among other health issues. I wasn't lonely in the sense that no one was around me, but it felt like everyone around me had a key I didn't. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to bring us some stories that explore the depths of loneliness. When the songs that used to make you happy just don't work anymore, or the foods that you would go to stop having a flavor, what it is, what's causing it, why people are calling it an epidemic. I don't believe it's temporary, but I do believe it's a cloud that comes and goes. And specifically, what makes Los Angeles at times such a tough place to connect with people? There's a, like a revolving door feeling about lots of spaces in L.A. There's a huge number of people coming from all over the country, the world, which is awesome, but it also can create a challenge for people to really find a sense of home. I think just moving out to L.A. by yourself is lonely as fuck. <laughs> there were just so many times where I just questioned what I was doing in this city, where I was like, am I ever going to achieve what I want to achieve here? Maybe this isn't going to work out for me. This all sounds kind of heavy, but we're also going to talk about the ways people are forging connections and building communities here in our city in really diverse ways. You're going to have to pioneer what you want. We're going to take you to jam sessions, pickleball practice, salsa classes, therapeutic men's groups, and we'll even be speed dating. Ooh. How about you? What are you most excited about tonight? To find love. <laughs> we'll meet Angelinos who've experienced loneliness and have found ways to build community. I sing little kitschy songs about how crazy L.A. is, but it's evenings like this and people like this that make it not such a big scary place. It feels welcoming and warm and like a big cozy hug. And it's never going to go away. And that's what I love about communities like this. They keep you going. And we'll get into the specific tools available to all of us in the city to build communities and fight the feeling of loneliness. Everyone wants community. And LA is so like big and spread out and it can be isolating and you have to ask for community and you have to go find it. But before we get into all of that, let's meet Kat Moore. We'll do that after a quick break. And a note from our team. We aren't mental health experts and we're not trying to give advice here. We only want to acknowledge the social challenges that sometimes come with living here. And of course, to highlight positive stories of how people have found connections. If you're struggling with your mental health, we'll have resources in our show notes. 
Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. We're back, and you're listening to How to LA. It would be helpful to kind of not think of loneliness with a capital L as this static block experience. This is Cat Moore. But there's only lonelinesses with a lowercase l that is in flux and complex for every person. She's the director of belonging at USC, which is part of the Department of Religion and Spirituality. She designed a course at USC to help students create meaningful relationships, which is now used nationwide. Which is not convenient if you're looking for some kind of large-scale solution, but it's the only way to approach it that I find works. What do you think the factors, if we're going to talk about modern loneliness, what do you think the factors are that contribute to that particular experience that people are having? In my experience, it's almost impossible to answer your question. What I've found is even if you can point at some really big things like, okay, we're in a tech revolution and we're about to enter God knows what with AI, probably another whole turbo boost of technological change that will change how we relate. There's certainly COVID is a communal trauma that's radically reshape the social landscape as well. There's other things that have been more of a long time coming with people moving much more concentratedly, if that's a word, into cities and that causing a whole other kind of issue with connecting at a scale that's so dense and anonymous. There's people disaffiliating from a lot of more organized kind of group structured activities, disaffiliation from spiritual and religious groups as well. And so that has cut a lot of people off. So there's those big things. But at the end of the day, you don't know why anyone is experiencing the loneliness they are until you sit down and ask them. And it could be 10 different things for that person. And if you ask them again in a year, it could be five different things. People talk about loneliness as this epidemic. The Surgeon General defined it as an epidemic, right? Yeah. Can you talk about what that means and what your thoughts are on that? I don't like it. (laughs) Okay, why? Um, No, not to be flippant. Obviously, super respect for the Surgeon General. He's done an incredible amount of awareness raising around loneliness and the public and social health impact. The Surgeon General's role is, I mean, he's a doctor. So a lot of the conversation around loneliness that's in the public is being stewarded by people in the public health 
sector. So they are framing it as a public health problem or a mental health problem. And so I get nervous personally about problematizing it and then kind of pathologizing it too as a medical and mental health problem inherently, because really it's an inescapable part of being human. And what I think is more helpful is to reframe it as this is an experience of human life that I want to befriend in myself and in the people around me so that I can understand it, so that I can use it and work with it. I really love that because the way it's sort of framed now, especially in our hyper-connected, like social media, everything's on display world, is if you feel lonely, like you're doing something wrong. Like you've done things wrong to get to a point in your night (laughs) or your life that you don't have a bunch of people to be around at that moment. And then you see all these other people that you project are meaningfully connected and have it all going on and are out partying or out with their 10 deep bench of best friends, (laughs) you know, their sisterhoods or their brotherhoods or whatever. It's almost an immediate slide from I just am not around anyone right now to there's something wrong with me. And when it turns into that, that's when you start to get a downward spiral into depression and mental health problems and starting to self-isolate and actually worsen it. Kat is an expert in loneliness. She's studied it. My honors thesis was on the conditions for community Oh wow! in the philosophy department, but I graduated without having any friends. <laughs> and as a profession, she helps people learn tools to create better relational and community ties. But the real reason she ever got into this stuff was because for most of her life, she herself was chronically lonely, as she put it. For a whole variety of reasons growing up, but I never stopped chasing it, even though I had no language for what I was after or what I was experiencing. And I tried to find it in lots of ways that we try to find connection through overachievement. I played basketball. While I was on the court, I actually felt connected, right? Because that's a team environment. So a lot of people find connection through sports, but I couldn't get it off the court. I couldn't translate it, make it spill off the court. Through reading, through trying to understand things analytically in college. I know I work for a university, but everything I really know in my bones about how to do this work comes from like literally being connected to another human by a cord when I was pregnant. And then the community I had to build out of survival when I became a single mom, I really didn't ever have a profound experience of not being lonely (laughs) until I became a mom at 28. It was all experiential. So most of the approaches to loneliness are coming from an analytical standpoint. They want to talk about research. They want to talk about theories. And yay for those. But in my experience, there can still be a gap between understanding why you're lonely or why other people are and then experiencing belonging. It's like a felt experience. It's a felt it's not experience. An, it's not an analytical thing. And we're all hardwired for it. We're, we're social beings. It's not like only special extroverts get to have friends, you know, or just we're lucky if it got modeled to them early. It's really important for people to understand that no matter 
how much loneliness they experienced and for how long, there's not anything broken with them. It's a matter of they probably haven't had the right conditions in place to support them or found the right tools and resources or communities to experiment with their own personal next steps. said that you found community out of survival because Mm -hmm. you had to. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking about something that I say to myself and other people a lot, but I don't know is really true. And it's also kind of cynical, but it's like we have this easy convenience culture. We can order food. We can have anything we want delivered within 24 hours. We don't really need people. Do you think that that is one of the things contributing to modern loneliness in the Western world? Absolutely. That more broadly is an example of having warped or unrealistic expectations of what's required from us to have the kinds of relationships that end up being meaningful. Right. And so if we think that all friendship, having a best friend or having a community that's there for you in crisis and to celebrate your wins, if we think that all we have to do to get that is friend someone on Instagram. There's a disjoint. So relationships can't be microwaved. They take time. They take risk. They take commitment. They take care. They take self-awareness. They take empathy. They take all of these things that requires a lot of us, right? And so we don't have very many things left in life that requires that much of our whole person to be invested, So it's like if you want a certain kind of relationship, you kind of have to ask yourself, what am I prepared to invest to get that? Hmm. Can you give some examples of that? Like what one needs to invest to have a meaningful relationship? Yeah. I mean, basically, you need to be investing your time and space, your shared space, whether that's digital or in person. You need to be investing your heart, which means you're willing to share how you're really feeling and be able to hold space for other people to express that too. You need to be able to share your resources. You need to be able to work through conflict. You need to be able to practice forgiveness of yourself and of the other people and learn how to change behavior and move forward together. And there's this feeling of interdependence and that if I weren't at this at this party or if I weren't in their life, there would be a sense of loss. Because fundamentally, we need to know that we're not replaceable. Is there a magic number of how many people you need around you to not feel lonely or to experience less loneliness? I feel like we should ask Siri. How many friends? (laughs) No, I mean, the the broad research suggests that basically more than three or four of whatever we want to call the besties, the uber close. I call them 3 a.m. ugly cry friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you can just be bawling and snotting and all the mascara running. And it's a reflection of we're finite human beings. We only have so much time and energy. We have all kinds of responsibilities. We can only really effectively track in the nuances of life with a small number of people. And in different seasons of life, that will look different. So it's not always about friends. 
it's just significant relationships of any kind. I use the image of a nest. Like, what does your nest of relationships look like in any given season? And you need to have more than a couple people in your nest. Those people don't all have to be best friends. So you need breadth and depth and diversity to the kinds of relationships you stand in to have the most kind of relational infrastructure in your life. So the role of weak ties Mm-hmm. in that nest. So those are people that you frequently see as you go about your daily life. It might be your Starbucks barista. It might be people in your neighborhood that you say hey to when you're walking your dog. That counts. We know that even the act of making eye contact in public with a stranger in passing decreases both people's experience of loneliness. So I think it's about making sure that you have a variety of kinds of relationships you stand in different seasons of your life. And for sure having, if possible, at least two people who, if you're in crisis or really have a need to express what you're going through, you don't just have to rely on professionals, which I love therapists, but, you know, we need other kinds of uh, layers of non-therapeutic support. So I'm thinking like for people who are listening to this and are adults, because so many of my, you know, close, close people like that are people I've had relationships with forever. And obviously that helps. Right. Yeah. And they find themselves like not having anybody in their close circle. Are there ways one can kind of like take an active role and maybe creating that in their lives? Yes. (laughs) How so? Absolutely. How so? Um, There aren't actually very many people who are like, I have no connections, I know nobody, I talk to nobody. There are a few, but mainly what's happening is people are connected, but they are struggling to figure out how to take the people they're friendly with into friendship or deepen the relationship to the next level, whatever that looks like for that person. So that is is a matter of basically doing a little bit of a relational assessment or inventory of the people that you are friendly with who you'd like to see if there's potential mutual interest and availability in becoming closer. For a student at USC, for example, if there's people you are in a study group with in one of your classes and you have fun studying together, what's the next step that would be easiest to spill that relationship out of that space. So ask them to go to coffee after the study group. Invite them over for dinner. And you can tell pretty quickly if people have the interest and availability in doing that. And to not take it personally if people don't want to go to the next step. So it's a kind of different mindset you have to get into. And so what you're trying to do is have some ways of initially overcoming static friction to connect with people, generally by asking them questions about their experience, and then having in your mind ways to ask questions and share about your own life that kind of move from superficial into more meaningful and personal kinds of questions. Because you're looking for some kind of meaningful resonance that you share. Do you both care about the same kinds of causes? 
Do you both do yoga? You're, you're, and the only way to figure that out is by exploring that person's story and what they're into. I want to bring it back or bring it to L.A. specifically. And I know there might not be anything particular about L.A. that makes it especially lonely, but people say that. They say mm-hmm. L.A. is a lonely place. So from your perspective and a more like professional perspective mm-hmm. um, and also just your own felt experience, mm-hmm. what about L.A. kind of contributes to that more so than maybe other cities or other places? Well, I do love L.A. and I think L.A. has enormous potential if you look into the fine grain of how different communities and people and groups have made incredible strides in building cool spaces and community. Like I came here when I was 18, growing up in a very, very small town in Pennsylvania. So there's just a huge number of non-natives. And so there's a huge number of people coming from all over the country, the world, which is awesome. But it also can create a challenge for people to really find a sense of home because it's so sprawling. It's so fast paced and people are coming and then spinning out. So a lot of people are coming like for various industries here. But if they don't make it, they're quickly leaving. It can be hard to have a sense of where do you find your sub communities because there's just so many people and so many places. It feels very splintered. It's kind of like which L.A.? You know, you can take that not even just geographically, but on a lot of different levels. There's no substitute really for putting your boots on the ground and starting to spend time in the public spaces and the spaces where you live and work and really slowing down to pay attention to who's there and making an effort to befriend the people that you're already around. If you don't have some kind of idea for how to start or a path to begin on, there's not a ton that's just going to happen to make it happen for you. So if you're not super self-aware or you're not super proactive or if you want to be but you've got other kinds of obstacles or you just have to work three jobs or whatever it is, think about people with high social anxiety or who are on the spectrum or have deep trauma. It can be really hard because there's not a lot of built-in nest that's just going to catch you up in it. So what? I have to create my relational life from scratch? That prospect can become very daunting. If you could give like a protocol for somebody who's moved here or maybe has lived here for a while and just finds themselves like a lot of people have moved away and just lacking community, what are some tools or what are some things they can do in a proactive way to start forging their own community path? If you're looking for something super simple, find a third space, a public space that you can just go put your body in and you don't have to commit to talking to anyone. Just make yourself part of the flow of human life. I would recommend going to a coffee shop, which is where my social life began here. I'm just a total nerd and weirdo. So I love just being in coffee shops and like geeking out, like drawing weird cartoons and reading philosophy. And so that was my preferred third space. But just sit down with yourself in some quiet for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, get out a piece of paper And make yourself 
what we're going to call a belonging map. You're just going to make circles, different circles on the page that represent the different spheres of relationships that you could pursue. For example, wherever you live is one potential sphere of neighborly relationships that could become any number of things, but could just be neighborliness. Now, you're going to make the circle small if you're not at all interested in doing that. And you're going to make it big if you're like, you know, I really love where I live and I'd love to get to know my some of my neighbors. They seem really cool. And then you're going to do one for the interests you have, the hobbies you have. If you're super into ping pong, okay, you are going to look up ping pong clubs. And if that sounds exciting to you, make the circle big. And you're going to think through the things that you care about. And you're just going to move through the options in your mind and put them down on a piece of paper. One thing this does is it helps you know that there's multiple pathways available to you to pursue. And you get some agency in determining how interested you are in any number of those. That includes online community as well. Then you can just look at the top two circles, the biggest circles you have. And you're going to make an action plan for yourself to do one thing to get yourself towards saying hello to someone in that sphere. And you're going to make just small goals for yourself each week and then reflect on how that went and what you want to do next. I've never had someone respond poorly to simply looking at them and asking them how they're doing. And it's flabbergasting to me that so many people can walk can walk through the city and even their their home or in their neighborhoods and their workplaces and go weeks without ever having anyone ask them that. Yeah. People assume that other people don't want them to talk to them. Like if we see someone on the subway, we assume they don't want us to come up to them and talk to them. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly people do. That's real I hear that from guys a lot like in, in more of like a dating or romantic sense uh-huh. where they because of the culture or whatever now they have a sense of like they they feel like women don't want them to come to up. approach them yeah mm-hmm. and i'm always telling my guy friends i'm like we do yeah <laughs> i mean obviously like don't be creepy, creepy. Yeah. yeah but, but we, we like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and it's funny because then it creates this stalemate where everyone's like not talking to everyone because we think we don't want to offend people we don't want to overstep we don't want to invade people's privacy but like you can just be like hey and if someone genuinely doesn't want to talk for any number of reasons no worries you still made a positive impact on them just by taking an interest in their life and what's more if you're doing that in public places it can start you get witnesses so If you see people regularly saying hi to each other in a public place, in your mind, you're like, this is the kind of place where people say hi to each other. And so it sets the atmosphere for the space, too, even if that one particular interaction didn't pan out. There always has to be a catalyst, in my experience, but it only takes one person, which is cool. So you'll see all these TikTok, these viral TikToks, right, of someone on the subway busting out you know, the sound of music, and then the whole subway's singing by the end of the train trip. You know, like, how much did that cost? Did that person have a PhD in social connection? No. That's like, literally, we can spark those kinds of flash mob experiences that can totally make someone's day. 
there's a difference between loneliness and being alone. Mm. If you're experiencing loneliness, that's going to register as some kind of pain. Solitude is just as important for our sense of belonging as having a bunch of friends. So in solitude, you're choosing to spend time alone, and that's to really deepen your connection with yourself, to befriend yourself. And you have to have that space in your life in order to be able to authentically even connect in relationships. So it's not just a problem of, "Uh uh-oh, I'm alone, that's bad. Um, We actually really need to build out time in whatever our weeks and, and months look like, where we're spending time getting to know ourselves. That's so important because I've experienced that when you're actually around a lot of people, but you haven't had that time to like recharge with yourself and it doesn't feel like if you still feel lonely. Totally, because you're often just reacting based on the energy of the room or what you perceive other people want or need. And it's not coming from like a grounded, deep sense of, you know, who you are and what you're bringing to the environment. That was Kat Moore, Director of Belonging at USC and How to Allay's Megan Botel, who is producing and reporting the series. We're back with another episode on loneliness and belonging next Tuesday. Megan and I are going speed dating. Check that out next week. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.